Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? I am Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson and with us for the pod today from ESPN.com and host of the esteemed John Kime Report. It's John Kime. Okay, what up, up, fellas? <laughs> Good to have you, John. Good to have you. So you wrote a massive uh, story on Sam Howell, and I'm excited to talk to you about it um, because it like my my thing is I think about my radio show later today that I kind of want to focus on for that is why does everyone think the commanders are going to be bad? Um, Watching all these power rankings come out that got them like 25th, 27th. I think someone had them 30th. And obviously a lot of that is around Howell because people just have not seen him play and, and don't think that a guy that went in the fifth round last year is going to be very good. So, John, I'm, I'm very appreciative uh, for my own purposes that you went into this, but certainly uh, I think it's the biggest story about this team in the offseason. So at, why did you want to report this story on, on kind of why they like Sam, who Sam is, where he is, and, and what did you learn as you wrote it? Well, a couple of things, and I wanted to write it because – it's been a topic all off season. And, and it was, listen, the whole, like the Lamar Jackson thing was never going to happen because financially it just wasn't going to work. And any deal that you would have offered, I think one thing that, and this not to get too deep into that, this one, but any deal you would have offered him, you would have had to have cut guys to just to sign them to an offer sheet. You probably get rid of John Allen. You don't sign to Ron Payne, guys like that. And then you just get the chance to get him to an offer sheet and then there's a good chance that Baltimore matches that offer, and now you're out all these players. So that's a separate case. But they didn't go as aggressive as they did the previous offseason when they looked at any quarterback that might be that they felt might be available. And even you know they briefly considered an Andrew Locke, and you know they it was never like they, it just that was never going to be a thing. But it's like, hey, what about? And it's like, no, because he's retired and he's whatever property the Colts. So you move on. And then, you know, this year it's the opposite where they really didn't go aggressive looking for a guy. So why is that? And, and it just kept leading into the draft. You kept seeing people projecting a quarterback to them in the first round. And like, that's not going to happen because they really do like him. And so I wanted to, I just kind of want to explain, like, this is what they saw leading up to not just the Dallas game, but leading into the Dallas game. Cause I think if you don't see, and you guys know this, that, Whenever you see, whenever they make a decision on a guy, especially a quarterback, it's not just about a particular game. It's about what they see or don't see 
in the in the in behind the scenes and all that. So I think that's that's what I tried to get at is like, why is it? It wasn't just because it wasn't just like, oh, oh, is 11, 11 completions. Oh, that's what they're going to make the decision on. No, it was all this stuff leading into it. The fact that they liked him before the draft last year. And then the fact that they saw improvement in key areas, and then they saw it translate into the one game he did play. Now, we don't know where he's going to go, but that's why. So I just wanted to kind of explain all those things. I mean, you know, like I I like Sam Howell. I think he's got a lot of potential. I think, you know, there's a lot of people you talk to him. They really had high evaluations on him, much like the commanders did here. And you alluded to that in your article. Do you think that this is, Slight a slight overcorrection from last year's pursuit of Carson Wentz. Possibly. Do you think that maybe this is a little short-sighted? I mean, would would you want to like if I'm the GM, I probably want a little bit of risk management. They did bring in Jacoby Brissett, which I love. I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, and I think I think there is some of an overcorrection because they were very aggressive and it didn't work. They had to give up picks and they had to give up cap space. So they had a young guy that they do like. And so then it gives them a chance to then build around him and build around a young quarterback who's on a rookie deal. So that's, that's where it's, that's where it is um, uh, beneficial to them. So I do think that there's probably some of a correction. I do think if a Hendon hooker had fallen to the third round, then I think that, well, then they would have at least considered drafting him. I don't know if they would have, because we don't know it didn't happen. But I think that's where they would have felt comfortable taking a guy like that because that's that's one of the quarterbacks they liked in this class, uh, and and he would have provided really good value because you probably have a first round talent who falls to the third for a variety of reasons. So, so you know, to your point, I think that's where you can mitigate some of the risk as well, because if this doesn't work, there's going to be a lot of people looking for a job, and this is one thing that. I was on a, uh, a call with Mark Dominic, who's the former general manager in the NFL. And his point was like, they understand the risk involved here for them. They know that another ownership group will be coming in and evaluating their decision-making to get to this point. So there's a lot on them to make this work. So counterpoint slash point of inquiry for both of you guys. And I'll throw out what I think real quick first to, to react to. That point that they didn't do anything at quarterback, I think, is completely overstated. Yes, Sam is the guy they would want to win, as any team would want their young quarterback who they think has potential to win out. Because, John, like you just said, that's a rookie contract QB for the next couple of years. What more? What better gift could you possibly have in the sport than that, than a legitimately good quarterback on a rookie contract? But if I were to ask you guys, who was the best quarterback available on the market this offseason? And I say, no, Lamar Jackson wasn't actually available because right. John, like you said earlier, like the restricted free agency thing, there just was never the the Venn diagram of good deals that could be offered by another team that the Ravens wouldn't match. So I don't count him as being on the market. Rogers is prohibitively expensive and, and was not really available to all teams. Yeah. He was available to the Jets. Right. How many guys were truly available that are better than Jacoby Brissett? And Brissett, again, top 10 QBR last year. The reason that they didn't have a better record with with the Browns is because their defense was horrendous last year. He played well enough to win a lot of games, and anyone from Cleveland will tell you that. So it, it, it gets to this question of like, did they actually do the best thing they could do at quarterback in the free agent space? Um, or was there another option available? 
And then kind of the the 1B question to that, and John, you probably have the most insight on this, is, is your reporter status is still uh, current and mine has expired by many years. Um, are they actually going to be, quote unquote, all in on Sam Howell? Or is this going to be a competition? And is there a very good chance that Brissett is the starter and could lead them to the playoffs this year? I think it's clearly sounds like they want how to have every chance to win the job. If he doesn't show it, you have a guy that can go out there and take the job from him. So he's going, I think there's, I think if you had brought back Taylor Heineke, it becomes clear that it's going to be how Heineke. But in this case, I think, I think there's going to be a little bit more pressure on how to look a certain way because I think Brissett will come with a little bit more, um, not guys certainly respect to Taylor Heineke in the locker room. I'm not going to say that, but I think, Brissett maybe has a slightly, you know, higher reputation, I guess, as a, as a player and he coming off the year he did. So if you're not, if you're not doing well, if you're how, then you got a guy right behind you who's going to push you probably more. So I think that's where, uh, you know, so I think that's where the benefit of, of a Brissett, but I do think that he goes in there like, Hey, if he goes out there and started showing what he can do and, um, you know, looking good, then there, then, there's no need. That's what they've been looking for. But if he's struggling at all, now you have, now you're going to have a competition. Right. And that's kind of what I was <clears throat> saying is like, if you're better than Jacoby Brissett, you're an NFL starting quarterback. And so if Sam Howell is better than right. Jacoby Brissett, like, okay, they have an NFL starting quarterback. And that leads to like the other part of it, Logan, like when you did your offseason rankings and John, if you want to chime in by all means, like what else could they have done? And that that's, you know, outside of being absurdly aggressive and kind of creating something, which they of course did try last year, what else was available to them? Well, I think right. the thing that sticks out to me is like, and it, this depends on, on like your evaluation. I'd like to get your thoughts on this, John is like, if I'm a fan and I don't, I, I don't think they should have done this, but do you go after Garoppolo? Do you go after Carr? Do you make a pursuit for one of those types of players? And is the roster, is the team, is the organization in a better situation because of that? I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I, I hear that a lot from fans saying, oh, sure. that's what we should have done. We should have been more aggressive in that way, not necessarily with Lamar, not necessarily with um, Rodgers, but those kind of you know mid-tier starting top 15, top 12 type of guys uh, from a quarterback position. So that's what I would say. I, I mean, I do like Jacoby Brissett a lot. And I think the framing of this is also somewhat interesting to me. The idea that it's, it's you know, like, like John said, it's Sam's job to lose. It's not necessarily like a truly open competition. And, you know, you mentioned it, Craig, like Jacoby did a great job last year. We were both mm -hmm. advocating for him to come here. I know John was for a long time. And so why isn't it Jacoby's job and then Sam's job to kind of prove that he's got it in the bag? It's th That's the thing about it. <clears throat> I think the phrasing and the characterization of it that I think either that speaks to how they feel about Sam. And that's the thing I think that nationally gets people a little bit like, that can't be true. You know, he can't be better than Jacoby right now. And I kind of agree with that just because of, of Jacoby's history and play experience. And so that's kind of right. like why it feels a little, a little weird, I'm sure to national, to the national media. Sure. And I listen, I get why they would have those thoughts because when you're looking at it from the outside, it's, you know, you, this guy played one game, he was a fifth round pick. And so a lot of people can't get, and, and I know, we know like they rated him higher than that. A lot of other teams did. I had a lot of people, you know, more people, even like some draft analysts would say, oh yeah, I had him around like a third round grade, whatever. So a lot of people thought he'd go higher, but the bottom line is he was a fifth round pick. 
and you know you can say he go higher, but he didn't. And you know sometimes you get to those teams where it's like you draft a quarterback high, and then you may not worry about it because you got your guy. You maybe don't need one, whatever, whatever the reason. And I I know that if they had not needed a quarterback, they would have they would have pursued him on day two most likely. Hmm. So they you know, but I I agree with Brissett. Now the other thing with like a guy like Garoppolo. They were interested in him last year. I yeah. just think that injury history makes it very difficult. And the, and the cost for him involved makes it a little bit more difficult as well. And same with the car is, was car going to elevate these guys around them? What would they have been able to build the same roster by going out and getting a car? Probably not because he costs a lot more. And then it's always about how you structure contracts, et cetera. But so I think that's that's one of the things you wonder about with that. Could they have gone that route? But they didn't. And again, I think Garoppolo, had he not, I think if he had not been hurt last year, there's a chance that he'd have been here instead of Wentz. So, you know, um, you know, so I, but I don't, I, I, I agree with you on Brissett. Brissett played well last year. And you're right, Craig, like that, his, the issues in Cleveland were not because of the quarterback. It was because of a really, really bad defense. And to me, he kind of fits a lot of what they would like here, which is take care of the ball, operate the offense well, and and help your defense by doing that. And 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 you have some playmakers too on the outside. So I think he would be a good alternative if Howell doesn't show the progress they need. All right, here's the part where we hunt for the clicks. No, I'm not going to ask you about the luck part. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go revisionist history question. Um, in reporting this story, was there anybody in, that you talked to that has any regret over not giving Sam more snaps last year or starting him earlier last year? I think there is a. I think there was a definite because Rivera would talk about this during the season. He wanted to see Howell in a game earlier, and I think I think the hard part was I think they started to see things in practice, and it's like, well, how would that translate in the game? And so I think like a game like the Houston game it would have been good for him to get a quarter or so of action in that role, but they, you're trying to win a game too. And in what if it's, a well, that's kind of what I mean though. Like right. if they it, think that he's good, like do they wish they had gone to him because he actually was their best option, especially seeing how Wentz played against Cleveland and, and how high right. he kind and of think, folded down the stretch. I think it's hard. It's a hard question to answer because I, you know, at the time I know what, you know, again, with, if they had been able to see him, maybe they do go to him earlier. The hard part with like the Wentz and the Cleveland game is Wentz is the guy they traded for. And they clearly had a belief in him and that system and what he could do for them. And then it wasn't going well. We saw what was happening. But then it's like, oh, well, you know, he's more comfortable with the offense. And then he goes out and plays against the Niners and on his couple drives operated well. And then you could point to various reasons as to why but he did look better. So if you're them, it's like, maybe he's at a better point. And so I just think it, where there are a lot of factors involved in not going to Howell earlier. And it's certainly in hindsight, I think the Cleveland game is the one where you could say, hey, um, if you had seen him a little bit earlier, maybe you have a better feel and say, listen, what we saw in practice is what we saw in this game. So we're going to put him in there for that game. And I'm talking as if I'm them, not me saying we so hmm. you know so that that's where i think that's that's the one game you look at but before that you know they were doing they were winning with heineke 
And you're not yeah. going to change that. And plus, I think people have to respect, give Howell a lot of credit. And they did a good job getting him ready and doing that point. But he needed to get some stuff worked on. He had to work on some stuff. And, and he did. And so it's not like it's not like what you saw at the end of December is what he was in October. That's not the case. So I, I think from that point, so but it really to me would have been that Cleveland game if they had been able to get him in earlier, would they have felt comfortable just saying, you know what, we've seen what we need to from this kid, put him in. Um, you know, keep in mind, like even with um, with with Brock Purdy, he didn't go in there until uh, everybody else got hurt. Right. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I keep going back to, and I get a lot of fans ask me this, and I, you know, I've I've expressed my perspective on this, or expressed my perspective on this on the show, is at the end of the year versus Dallas, there seemed to be a little bit of reluctance, you know, or a little bit of indecision yes. about that was, putting him that in. Was a problem. And that's the thing that always, like, you know, I, you know, I think there was still some kind of trepidation on the coaching staff's part about whether or not he was actually ready. You know, what the locker room yeah. thought. There was a whole bunch yeah. of factors, but that decision it kind of sticks out to me or that indecision kind of sticks out to me. What, what do you think about that? Do you wish that no, they had been a little I, bit more I, decisive? Yeah, I do. I think they, I, to be honest, I think they overthought it. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. think there was a desire to limit um, pressure hype. I yeah. Guess, right. For lack of a better yeah. word on like, Oh, he's going to start. So all the focus is now on Sam Howell. And so, and to mitigate that, like, well, you know, start Taylor Heineke, give him a quarter and a half or so, and then put in Howell so he doesn't have – but if you really want to learn about a guy, you're going to start him because, you know, the hype is going to be there this year. I mean, that's what the whole focus is on. So you want to get that clock started early in terms of that. How does he handle that? So I think there was an overthinking of the situation. And then hearing from players and stuff that, that he's actually – they think he's ready. Yeah. And I think and, that helped them go in a different direction. But then, yeah, no, I yeah. can understand. Like, I understand how that comes across. I do think it was an overthinking of it, and, and that's it. Yeah, and then I think the other thing that kind of gets me is then combine that, you know, reluctance, indecision, overthinking, however you want to characterize that. I'm not saying it, they did anything wrong, but whatever that is. And then now to be at this point in the offseason and be like, he's the starter for 2023. Right. I think is, is, is a, is a pretty dramatic shift, and, you know? And so that's, and I don't think, but, but to that point though, they're only saying that he's going into there as a starter. There's no uh, yeah, guarantee yeah, right. that yeah. he does. So you, I think that has to be continuously stated that it's just opening up going to OTAs or whatever. But if you're not showing the progress, then it's, it's just as possible. Jacoby Brissett is a starter going into the season. If yeah. they see the progress, if they see him build the off of what they saw leading into the Dallas game from the Dallas game, and if he does that, then he'll be the star. So I don't want to go and say that he's the star for 2023 yet. We don't know that yet. Right. We just know going in that he's got the first chance to, to earn that job. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That's Logan Paulson. John Kime, ESPN.com is with us of course check john's great podcast the john kime report anywhere you listen to this pod also you can watch it on youtube on the empire media page so if we say Brissett's play and even if we take it down a, a slight notch from last year and just because last year was as, as well as he's played right but if that's the floor how good is this team because that that's the thing i still don't really get kind of going back to the thing i was talking about off top right is this team went eight, eight and one last year with really poor QB play for much of the season, an offensive scheme that was lackluster to say the least. And, you know, some, some injuries, but they still somehow won eight games. And that's why when, when analysts are putting them, you know, 27th or something like that, I just, I don't really get it. How, how you <clears throat> feel better about a team like a green Bay or something like that than, than this team. Um, even though I, I don't know, Jordan love might be good. We'll see. Um, but I, if, if we say that, you know, uh, Jacoby Brissett's level is the floor for the quarterback play, we add in Biennemi, they made the changes that they made on the roster elsewhere. What do we think this team, as we sit here, uh, admittedly on May 8th, like who cares, but on May 8th, what do we think this team is? And I think that's a good question. And I don't know because... <clears throat> You look at the NFC. Well, East, duh, John. It's May eighth. Come on, well, give right, us a right, little bit. Right. <laughs> I think the question is like, you know, here's so here are a couple of things. Are they right. better? Is the roster better? But I also think the a big part of this equation for this team is what's the impact of Eric Bieniemy, and because a lot of what we heard from fans, especially, and, and listen, I don't think they were necessarily wrong because they made a change at coordinator. But that was like, that's the guy holding them back. Well, now you got a different guy in there. What's his impact? And, you know, what's is, is, and like you said, the quarterback plays, not just last year, the last several years, it's been very subpar. And, you know, I had people tell me, like, well, Taylor was average. No, he wasn't. And I, I think we all, had, I loved watching Taylor. I think he was fun and all that. But you can't say that it was average quarterback play because the metrics don't support that. So now he was fun and he had, he had really good moments and he, he was, he could be do well down the stretch of games, but it was, you know, the quarterback play has been subpar here. So, you know, how, what's the impact of whether it's Howell or Brissett, what's that impact? If, if you just get average quarterback play, you know, and, and so I, I think they're better, but there's a lot of things that we just don't, I mean, I know because it's May 8th, but like, we Bienemy's new here. What's that impact? That like right. I don't I don't think you can understate what he might mean to that offense. And not just and you know, I know Logan and I have talked about this, but it's not just from a play calling perspective. And I when you're an offensive coordinator, there's so much more than just calling plays. And it's it's about the confidence that you you instill in your players. In, in putting in that offense and how you react to them on the field. 
and the attention and ad adherence to the details of a play. How strict are you with that? And then what's the difference in that game if you have a guy that you're getting on their butt because of details and in the game he gets it right, that's your impact. And it may not be anything that anybody sees because all we see are, oh, that's a great play caller or not. Well, the reality is it may have been the way that the guard or tackle steps on that play or the way the receiver ran the route in a detailed fashion that may have made the difference in that play or how or the quarterback's footwork. And that's where, you know, is, is there a different adherence to that and emphasis on that? And if so, what's the impact? And so that's those are some of the things that internally you can look and say, like, did they match what the Eagles did in the offseason? Well, in name, no. I mean, I'm not sure anybody did. The Eagles look really good. You know, they that's a really good organization, really good. And they have a quarterback and they have this. But, you know, I don't – I mean, there's a lot to be learned about this team. Yeah, and I guess just to kind of piggyback on John's point, like I was thinking about something right when he was talking, it just came to me. So there, there's a route in Kyle's offense. It's called a quick through. And basically, like if you saw it on a piece of paper, you'd say it's a seam. But basically, versus different coverages and different different man looks, that quick seam, that that quick through, changes the angle, changes the position, changes, and so that one route, <clears throat> excuse me, ends up kind of playing out in like an almost infinite amount of ways. But it's all under this category of quick through. And I will say, like there were times last year, for example, in this offense with with Scott Turner, where they'd be running what I would call a quick through, where you're kind of running, it's man coverage, and they're running it like it's drawn on the paper when. The, the creativity and the spark and the nuance that like a good coach brings to that route would make an easier throw for the quarterback, right? Because the player, the, the, the receiver understands that if I get outside man, I got to get over the top of the plug player, you know, the middle linebacker who's kind of in the field and then break flat because that flat angle, I can take that angle because it's man coverage. And then the quarterback's going to throw off the left ear of the Mike linebacker. We're going to get a really easy throw as opposed to me, trying to outrun that player vertically and him in a trail position and making that throw really hard for the quarterback. So I do think that that level of detail, because like when you look around the league and when you watch a lot of film and John and Craig, you watch a lot of film, you know, this, the offense is, it's roughly the same. The concepts are roughly the same. The, the magic, the secret sauce is in the detail that's associated with those concepts. So like, you know, do I inside release this dig? Because I know I'm on the backside of the concept and I have to show up versus cover two because the front side concept's dead. And last year, I think the big criticism that Craig and I had, and John, I've talked to you about this, is that that level of detail did not appear to be here. So if right. if if EB comes in and has just got a magnifying glass and all this stuff and is holding these guys to a Super Bowl caliber, you know, um, offensive standard, I think this team could be drastically different. So, but I think I think to, to your original point, Craig, that that is all projection. It's how does this group take to that coaching? It's how does Sam Howell learn the coaching? How does uh, EB insulate the offensive line? Because, you know, John and I have talked about this almost at nauseum. Like I, I felt coming out of the draft that like we, you know, we, we probably should have added a tackle. We probably should add a, a difference maker, a guard. But I will say Kyle Shanahan, 2012, 2013, elevates those that, that group of playmakers because of the play calling and how he sequences plays. And I think EB has that. So, you know, Craig, you've been banging this drum for a long time. The biggest offseason addition we've had is a coordinator. And when you look around the league, look at good coordinator play and what it does. Look at Dayball in New York and look at Daniel Jones. Look at Patterson in Jacksonville. Look what it did for, for Lawrence, right? Everywhere you turn, it's like, holy cow, this guy's – this this the coaching brings something different. So, But I do think that's hard for 
analysts and fans to project that because what if they come in and Sam Howell doesn't like the offense and Jacoby Brissett isn't quite up to snuff in terms of language because, you know, like from what I can see in the limited access I have to the team, it's going to be what they ran approximately in Kansas City, right? It's going to be very, very similar to that as opposed to some reinvention of the wheel. So how do they respond to that? And that, that I think is because there's a lot of uncertainty, it, it, it doesn't inspire odds makers, I think, is part of the right. thing. You know what I mean? And, and, I don't, and I don't blame them there, Logan, because, again, for, if you're on the outside, and it doesn't mean that we're going to be right, but I do yeah. think there's a lot of – and the other problem is it's not like this organization has a track record of success <laughs> over the last several years. So if you, if you don't have that, you're going to be pinged for whatever decisions you yeah. make. And Absolutely. whereas if, if you're the Patriots and you go with Mac Jones, it's going to be like, oh, it's Belichick. So there is, right. there is a difference. I think that always plays into it as well. And so I think that, you know, and the way you get past that is by you win with the decisions yeah. you make. And if you surround him with the right situation with, again, with the coaching and then the line play, is it better? And then are you – you know, how is your run game? And I always felt like one of the things they didn't have before was kind of a bread and butter run game play. Like it yeah. just felt like they really didn't have that. What was their run game identity? And I think they were developing that. And I think, you know, will will they have more of that? What's your what's your run call in third and one? Right. Yeah. Those kind of things. And and, like, and, yeah. Yeah. So I think there's like there's a lot of little ways because we are talking like they were eight, eight and one and not. We can't make it more than what it is because that was their record. But in those games, there's a couple plays in a few of those games where if the offense is a little bit better, then the season's different. Now, the other factor in this too is <clears throat> does does Howell protect the ball? Because if he doesn't, mm-hmm. that's a problem. And I think when you go out and get an Emmanuel Forbes, you're in and Rivera talked about this about changing that turnover margin. Well, Forbes is a big part of that, but so is Howell. And you've yeah. got to protect the ball and not put your D in a bad situation. If he does that, then you're okay. And if not, that's where, again, Brissett, I think, is a really good backup for them because he has shown that he can take care of the ball and, and do well with that. And, and it could be like a mini Alex Smith situation, right, um, if he comes in. Not that he's the, not, not necessarily the same talent, but there is some skills that he brings where it's like, you know, does that help you? And I think that's one thing he's shown. So that's going to be a big part of this too, Logan and Craig. Right. And, and I just, I don't think that like how is going to come in and be significantly worse than like Wentz was in that department or that Heineke was by the end of the year in that department, which is kind of why I'm, I, I look sideways at the, the 27th or whatever projections. And I get it for all the reasons that you guys said, like when it's unproven and it's all projection, you know, it's like, Oh, well they change, you know, their offensive line wasn't very good last year. Well, they changed four of the five guys, but okay, sure. Right. Counterpoint to that is we don't know how that's going to go. Um, right. They changed coordinators. We don't know how that's going to go, right. but I do think that there's just some pretty fundamental things that if I'm doing the projecting, I, I see with an optimistic view such as, Curtis, how often Logan did last year? We talk about Curtis Samuel being like the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, and there were games where he just was completely uninvolved. That doesn't happen right. in Kansas City with Tyreek Hill, with some of the, I mean, even like Jarek McKinnon. Like they have guys that they're like, we need to get them these specific touches each and every weekend because they're going to move the chains or, God forbid, score. And when everyone loves to point out that they only averaged 17.7 points per game last year, it's like, well, what happens if they make a concerted effort to get the ball to the guys who are good at, you know, when they have the ball? 
I, I would think they'd score more. And I think that's going to be a part of the offense. And it's kind of nuts that it wasn't last year, but it wasn't. And the the insulation of the offensive line and, and all of those things offensively. But then there's th- this, this whole other wild concept that they have a defense that's really good. And that hasn't changed almost at all. For all of the projection that we have on the offensive side of the ball, they have the same defensive coordinator. They have the same defensive core. And they've hopefully added some pieces that could, if they pan out, could significantly upgrade the defense. And if not, are probably going to be similar level to what they saw last year. Those pieces being Emmanuel Forbes, but also Chase Young. Like if Chase goes out and has a good year, how much better is this defense? If not, you're playing a lot of James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill and guys that played last year at the level that we saw them produce at last year. Same thing, Emmanuel Forbes on the outside. If he's great, he's getting turnovers. They're they're. Totally different defense in a good way. If not, he's a rookie. He's probably getting his snaps reduced. And Benjamin St. Juice and Kendall Fuller, a.k.a. the guys that played last year, are probably out there. And I think that's my biggest, like, what is everyone talking about with this team is not the projection offensively because it can't get a lot worse than it was last year because of all the reasons everyone said. But there's a floor on this team of the defense that, to me at least, looks like it's going to be very similar to last year with unless there's injuries or you know other unforeseen circumstances, not a lot of room to go down and a ton of room to go up. Yeah. And and I think that's a because you're also getting, you know, is the D is a D line rotation strengthened with a guy like Federian Mathis back yes. in the rotation and John Ridgeway in a second year in this system because he's not now Ridgeway's not a playmaker per se, but he'll be better in year two with this and as a rotation guy. So your rotation is stronger. Um, what's it look like at, you know, just going back to the roster, the tight ends, how do mm-hmm. they develop is Logan Thomas. Now there's not all these things are going to be answered in the affirmative or go the way that everybody wants it to, because it never goes like that. It rarely goes sure. like that. And I think the health is going to be always a factor, but defensively, you know, how quickly does Forbes become the playmaker they hope he is? How quickly does Quan Martin become the versatile piece they hope he is? And, you know, and what does that mean when he is? And does Cody Barton, is he any different? I mean, shoot, they didn't have Cole Holcomb for most of the year and the defense still did a nice job. So now you have a guy that probably is around the same level and Barton, is he an ascending player or where, where, you know, we don't, and there, there are questions. And you get Jamin, you know, hopefully the Jamin that ended last year is the one that starts this year and keeps ascending because Jamin at the beginning of last year was a bad and by the end of last year he was good yeah. and if you get and, good Jamin like that seems I don't know John that seems good to me right and so like there's a lot of ways that it can go with the D but you know then I think you look at like what's the schedule look like and we'll find that out more later mm-hmm. this week we know the teams are playing and on paper it's it, on paper the the it's a tougher schedule but part of that is because the NFC East was so good um, but you know you're also getting you know, it's just going to be an interesting one. But again, that the, the, the schedule thing is hard because you never know how a team looks until you play them. Like you can't say in in April or May what it's going to look like in October because we don't know, right? But um, it, it on paper is a is a tougher schedule. But you know, again, we'll see. But I, I do think there's reason to believe that they will be better, and I think there's reason to say. But you got to, you know, there are other things you say, but this has to go right for them. And this person has to make an impact, whether it's Biennemi or Howell or, you know, or Brian Robinson. Here's another one. You know, he was shot. 
and, yeah. and he missed four games because of it. And then it's not like you come back and you're who you were when before you got shot. It takes a little bit of time. So where is he at with everything? And and does 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 this help him? You know, we'll, we'll see. So, you know, I think there's there are reasons where you can say if you want to be optimistic, you can say that. And I think and if you have concerns that those are legit, too, because, again, we're not talking about a 12 win team. We're talking about eight, eight and one, which means you can go this way. You can go this way. But yeah, I was going like, to also say the enemy thing is a big change for them. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think one of the big things for me is like when you look around the division, I think nationally, the pe- the teams in the division made a lot of like big moves. You know, they, right. you know, right. Waller to New York, uh, obviously Philly's draft and the free agents are able to bring in and, you know, Dallas trading for cooks and kind of making more splash slash flash moves. And I think a lot of people naturally say, well, obviously those teams are going to be better. They've added better players. And there's a huge element to that. But then, you know, again, I think back to the the Giants last year. And I remember on our podcast, we did like a recap of the Giants offseason. And the one thing we settled on is, well, like they changed both coordinators and they've got a new head coach. And that was the most significant change in those teams. Right. So, again, I think people forget about EB and what he could right. potentially bring. But I, I also think that, like, to your point, like it's. It's a, it's a, every, everything about this roster is a projection. Like I personally think that Quay Martin is, or Quan Martin, excuse me, is like maybe the most significant piece for this defense. But like you said, even that piece, which is a second round pick is a projection because it allows you, it gives you depth, even at linebacker, having a piece like that, because it maybe Forrest can move in there or, you know, Percy Butler can play the post and Cam say, so but like that that thing that linchpin for the defense is in a player who's 22 or 23 years old. So I again I think it's there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic, a lot of things to be very excited about, but ultimately it's like we don't know and there there are good bets and there are bad bets and sometimes I think you know the optimism is a little unrealistic for the local media and I'm including myself in that. Because I'm I'm also more op- optimistic than 27th, quite frankly. Right. But, you know, and that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just and I just would like to like point out real quick. I'm not saying that people should have their top 10, right? No, no. I no, just no, no. I just think that it should like there's a really good chance that they finish around the same record that they do last year, maybe a little bit better. If if all the things that we're talking about go well, they probably still cap out an 11 or 12 win team. Like I'm not telling you this is a 14 win one seed right. football team. If everything goes, I mean, if everything goes unbelievable and Sam Howell is like literally young Russell Wilson. Sure. We can talk about it, but that's not what I'm projecting. I just, I am like miffed at the fact that people think this is going to be one of the worst teams in the league when it is largely unchanged, uh, in some key, like set the floor spots from last year. And it has changed in the spots that were trouble in ways that obviously in May we think are better, but we'll see. The other thing that I, I just add real quick to kind of the, the national versus local um, and kind of the way the media operates narrative, Logan, is if they had let Deron Payne walk and signed Jeffrey Simmons to the exact same contract or Dexter Lawrence, pick another defensive tackle who's roughly the same ability as Deron right. Payne, how differently do people look at that? They probably bumped them up a couple of slots like, wow, they, they brought in this big free agent acquisition. Well, Deron Payne's a better acquisition because there's a continuity there. He already knows the system. He knows how to play with the guys next to him. He costs the same amount of money, 
but he's not new from the outside. So people don't, don't necessarily look at that again. If chase young comes back and is a, is the guy that we thought he could be, or even 80% of it, that's a huge upgrade on this defensive line, but it's internal. So people don't right. really give them the credit. Sure. Same thing with internal improvement of Jamin Davis and some of the other guys that we've talked about Sam Cosme going into guard, like that could turn out to be a massive upgrade for them. Uh, and you know, Sam, or Andrew Wiley, although we don't think he's probably awesome at right tackle, if they can get consistent play out there versus will. The up and he's, down nature. Yeah. As long as, well, I mean, it's injury, you know, yep. per, you know, if he's not injured, the, the injuries and, and what happened to them on the offensive line last year, just having continuity would, yeah, would yeah. be an upgrade for them. So I, my, my point is not that this team is actually awesome and everyone's missing out on that. My point is that I think that the lack of sexiness of their off season is doing far too much infiltrating of people's opinions of them to think that they are bad when they actually did a lot of small shore up smart things that they, they should get some level of credit for. Yeah. I mean, but I think again, it goes back to, they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt until you win. And yep. so, you know, the giants weren't getting credit for any of their moves last off season, the way they are now, because they had a better year. And you can look at it and say, well, Waller has been a good player, but he's also been hurt. So how's, how's he going to go? But he's a big name. So if you get that big name versus versus us saying, hey, what kind of step could Armani Rogers take at tight end? <laughs> now, it may be a bigger step than Waller. Who knows? Right. It could. And, I, and Waller's obviously very good. If he's healthy, he's very, very good. Awesome. But what if he's not healthy? And so like, what if he has some injury issues continue there? So then it's... You know, so there are a lot of things to consider. What if Logan Thomas becomes a red zone target again? And, and you know, like how much difference does that make for them? So, like, there's a lot of things. But, again, it's like it's going to start with the quarterback play. They've got to get that right. That has to be right. Or else it's going to be a tougher year because 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one is not going to cut it for this staff, I don't think, you know, when you have a new yeah. owner coming in. So, yeah. you know, but there and is I, reason to believe that it's like you can go there. But I, I know a lot of teams have that. Like, for example, the Eagles, they lose Hargraves and Edwards off that defense. Those are big losses. But if Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis do well, and then they have um, N'Kobe Dean and, you know, at linebacker, like if those guys come through, well, then you're okay. Yeah. But if they but don't. Even, I, I think that's the other thing about that. Sorry, this is a little bit of soapbox moment for me. But even though, even that is a projection for the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, N'Kobe yes. Dean coming out had a big injury history, right? Was not, he was very productive, but in a very specific role in the Georgia defense, mostly as a blitzer, not a great coverage player. And we've talked about on this show how linebackers are more coverage oriented, right? Jordan Davis is a run-stopping nose guard. What is the kind of value that he's adding to your rotation consistently? Because at times last year he struggled. So, they're projecting those players as well, even Jalen Carter to a certain extent. And I love Jalen Carter, but that's all projection in terms right. of how they're going to be. And the question is, like, the reason people are more optimistic about it, I think partially is because they're huge names. Like, they're they're right, all of kind of off that vaunted Georgia Everybody defense, knows so. who they are. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, listen. Even Keely Ringo, like, their fourth-round pick. It's like, oh, well, he was a first-rounder a couple years ago. Well, there's a reason he's the fourth-rounder yeah. now. Like, why right. does everyone think he's just going to go to Philly and be awesome? Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. And, and so now you could say the same thing about how he would, you know, whatever yes. anybody said, he would have been a first round pick here. Well, he wasn't, he came out this year and he was a fifth round pick and we can all, like I said, we can debate or not debate, but say, well, these are the reasons why, and he should have been up here and they all had him up here. 
but he went where he went. And it doesn't mean he won't succeed. It just means like that's where he went. And so you yeah. start there. But yeah, I mean, you don't know. Like these are all big names. And I know when it comes to the draft, not many people are going to look at every player. Like I can't sit here and say they should have drafted player X, Y, or X or Y or whatever in round in this round or that round. Because unless you've looked at all those guys, then it's like, well, you can say like, well, this guy seems like he would have, but I didn't study him. So it's hard for me to say that he would have been the guy they should have drafted instead, right? Because you don't know. And like, you don't know what, always what goes into those decisions to take a guy versus the guy that, that we all know, that the analysts have projected up here because everybody knows this guy. And I always laugh when, you know, you get to the draft and like in the third or fourth round, so like, oh, you should have taken this guy. Like, really? I mean, you know, and, and some people do like there are some there are some definitely some fans outside of the analyst world who really do watch a lot of this stuff and pay more attention than a lot. Like it's hard for me to pay as close attention to it because with the sale stuff going on, you don't have time to sit there and analyze there. I, I never have time to analyze every player or look at everything and consider every alternative. So you have to like get familiar with some guys, know who you know some of the key guys are, some guys they like. And then find out how they fit and why they liked a guy, because that always matters and why they may not go like Joey Porter. Some people would project him here. Well, you knew that they weren't going to take him because he didn't fit right. what they wanted. And so like there are reasons why, like they liked Forbes over a Gonzalez. And part of it was the SEC play and Gonzalez struggled against Georgia and Forbes did well in the SEC. That mattered. So like there's always reasons why they take a guy like that. I went off on the wrong direction. Sorry. No, there, awesome. it's a podcast. There is no wrong direction. <laughs> John, the John Kime Report. You should know that by now. Although that's a, you, you're very focused. Yeah, I know you're, John's you're very, very organized podcast. on his show. We, yeah, we're like, yeah, we'll talk for an hour. Let's see what happens. All right. Uh, actually, we're we're only going to go about 45 minutes today. So in the last two minutes of the show, real quick, John, anything that you think is going to happen? Let's say between now and July 1st. So you got your mini camps, your OTAs, and kind of this last wave of free agency where guys could come and go. Anything you're looking for? Actually, I'll just say before training camp in terms of the player roster movement. That you think, yeah, in, in terms of additions, you think that they'll add yeah. even, even a small piece well, here. Yeah, or there and I don't know. Like, matter. I don't have names, but I know they're going to keep looking at linebacker because that's yeah. the one spot you can constantly, consistently hear. Like, they would like to add someone there. I think then it's also what kind of progress. I go back to the last game, Kalik Hudson. He did a nice job yeah. in that finale. He did. So, mm -hmm. did he act? Did, was that a mirage or was that the start of, Hey, maybe the kid's starting to get it, you know, maybe being in the system for a couple of years. Now he feels more comfortable. We'll find out. And could he fill a role if he does come through like that? But I think that's the one spot that you consistently hear like, yeah, they'd like to do something more than anything else. Um, and then I was going to ask, because now they have all, they kind of are prolific in safety at safety in terms of depth. Um, <laughs> is one of those guys going to be able to kind of fill out that Buffalo nickel spot? Does it, devalue the need for them to make a move at linebacker or anything like that so. well that and that's a good question and and i think because what that does between martin and cam curl they feel like they have that buffalo nickel now covered and one of the things with cam curl he did get hurt a couple of times last year and so they wanted to limit the wear and tear on him that comes with that position because it is a different position so that's why a guy like Quan martin comes here and you can use a nickel in different ways now it's not a same thing every time. There are different ways you can use that position uh, to help. And I think that's so, but rotating those guys there. And also, I think it also gives you the ability to disguise coverages better. Sure. And and so I think that's a benefit. And, you know, you started to see that last year, even with Bobby McCain, 
when he's playing the slot, they could do some different things with him that you could see the quarterbacks hesitate just a little bit enough to where you need that rush to get home and, and then maybe make some noise. But, um, you know, so I do, I, you know, I think that, but yes, Logan, I think that that does to me, that's why like people have to remember, they don't play a lot of three linebacker sets. It's very rare anymore for any team. So they're not going to do that, but it would be nice for them to have a guy who can come in and play at a, at a solid starter level if you need him to. Do you but, think you know, do you think that guy's on the roster? I guess is my question. Like, because I, I remember they talked about Forrest kind of moving that role. You know, came out that he wasn't overly comfortable that close line of scrimmage. Percy, you know, has a skill set, but I think he's way better in the post. So you're kind right. of in that same role where the best person at it is Cam Curl. So like, does someone do they need to sign somebody, or is it Quan Martin does and, it, or and, well, does Quan, or maybe again, like, does a guy like Kalik Hudson elevate to that sure, role? And I don't sure. know that. Like I said, I all I know is that he had a good final game, and I think because of that, they're like, oh well, look at him a little bit differently than you would have before he played that game, and and you know, but I don't know that he'll be that guy, but you know, his skill set puts him in that role. But I think, like I said, Quan Martin can play some of that. When they draft him, that was part of why they liked him is that versatility to do that. But again, like he's, he's not a big guy either in terms, you know, I think they're both around, he and Cam are both around 200 pounds or so. So can you rotate them in that role and, and save the wear and tear on both of them? And then does somebody else emerge as linebacker? Because they've always said, like, you could be a linebacker who plays that role as well. So, yeah, if you don't think Hudson can be that guy, do you go out and try and find a guy who can fill that role as a linebacker and give you a little bit more size at that spot sometime when you need it? Yeah, sure. I also know they signed a a safety from Illinois, undrafted free agent, who is an intriguing player. So I don't know if he's he's more of a post guy or more can potentially go down in in that that slot as well. So. I'm working um, through those, we'll, so next time we have a podcast, yeah. we can talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, so we can do that. That'll be our rookie talk, mini talk, camp preview. I talked to Illinois Illinois defensive backs coach and coordinator about Quan and um, about Quan. I, I'm, yeah, about Quan and Kendall Smith. And yeah. so that'll play on the podcast at some point. I don't know when, but sometime over the next week or so. And that's a seamless transition to there tell you, you that you should go listen <laughs> to the John Kime Report uh, anywhere you are listening right now. You can also, if you're watching, uh, flip on over to the Empire Media YouTube page. And John's podcast is there. Uh, has great slew of guests, including Logan, uh, Bram Weinstein, a bunch of great guests. Always uh, Nikki Javala, our good friend, is, is, is a frequent guest. So make sure you're subscribed to the John Kime Report and read the big piece on Sam Howell on ESPN.com. John, always a pleasure, sir. Thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll have you back again soon. And when you read it, don't focus on Andrew Luck because that was not a big thing. It's a, it's, it's a very small thing, and it's like I know they had – there was – you know, I don't know that they ever talked to him or his aunt, but I know there was at least a, hey, should we? And then they didn't. So because he's retired and, he's, and the Colts aren't going to trade him. So anyways, focus on Sam Howell. In some ways, John, though, that's your, uh, you know, Ron last year in the press conference answered standing question was like quarterback. You should you should know better by now. (laughs) You knew that was going to be the one, (laughs) but it's good reporting and it shows the depth. So uh, everyone else can just behave, too. That would be nice. Talking to you. Talking to you. All right. uh, That's it. That's all for this edition of Take Command. We'll see you later in the week.